Hey everybody, it's Gabriel Menchaca. I have my wife Vanessa with me today. Hello. And we are doing a podcast today on family and missions. So uh, we actually went through some some kind of topics, and and this podcast was actually a result. I did a poll on my Instagram, and I asked people what were the things that they were interested in hearing about. Uh, we were missionaries for ten years in Europe, and uh, we did the poll basically asking. What were people interested in hearing about um, for those that are maybe considering going into full-time ministry or going into some sort of international or overseas ministry uh, that's very mission-like or, or as missionaries? Um, what are some of the things that we learned? What are some of the things that we went through? And um, in those experiences, we want to just share some of that with you. So today we're talking about family and missions. And the first thing we're talking about today is adapting as a whole. We're not talking about only Vanessa and myself as a couple. We're not talking about only our kids. We're talking about us as a whole, as a family unit. So us as parents and the kids included in what we're talking about today, family and missions. So we're talking about adapting as a whole. So I'm going to let Vanessa go ahead and kick it off first. (laughs) And just so you know, the topic that we're discussing today, a lot of it might sound like it comes from a negative point of view or it's not like the most fun and exciting uh, subject, but we want to be as realistic as we possibly can. And as honest. And as honest. And we're doing our best to kind of bring out our experiences for the sake of education. Like we really want you guys to learn and we really want to share our experiences. And a lot of times sharing some of the more, um, you know, maybe the things that you don't really talk about or the things you don't want to highlight. Um, those are the things that we kind of want to get into because those are the areas that can really do some damage if you're not being realistic about your family and missions. But, but they can be the most helpful as well. Absolutely. Yeah. If you can plan for some of these things or just at least have knowledge that some of these things are possible um, as far as like budgeting and things like that, it helps you. I mean, if anything, that's all we want to do. We want to make sure that if someone's really considering going into missions with their family, that they're equipped and that they're available to listen to something that kind of answers a lot of the questions that they may have. And also part of the PSA, uh, we do want to say that the the 10 years that we spent, it was a little over 10 years, but the 10 years we spent um, being in full-time missions, uh, support-based and, you know, just serving in, in that capacity was some of the most, uh, the best times that we've had uh, as precious to us, memories and, and friendships and relationships that were built uh, through some of the trips, through some of the people visiting, through, of course, the people there with us, you know, in Estonia and Germany and even the surrounding countries that we met. So we definitely want to make sure that you guys are aware that, that we loved it, that, you know, there's nothing that we look back and think like, man, you know, this or that. We loved every minute of it. But we do want to take time and really, like Vanessa said, highlight, be honest and realistic. So we'll get into the podcast right now. A lot of the adapting we had to do was when we would go back home to visit. A lot of times, um, even for myself, I did feel overwhelmed. There's just so many more people and people were way more, I guess, not aggressive, but they were just more um, talkative. They would ask you a bunch of questions. They want to hug you all the time. And obviously, this is all before the pandemic. And so it was really trying to figure out and help my son adapt as well. Uh, when I was and how we interact within that as a whole, like, do we <clears> let <throat> people hug him? Do we let people like, you know, that was something that we learned as a family, how to deal with all of that situation. Yeah. And then also making sure that we took time away from friends and family to just be together again. Right. 
alone because that's what we were used to. We were used to being alone. We were used to just us three. And coming back to the States, we were constantly surrounded by people like from the morning until we all went to bed. And that was something new for us as a family unit. So just kind of reading my son's cues, like if he was overwhelmed, if he was just too busy, we had to make sure that we, we paid attention to that and that we were um, purposely taking time away from people to be alone again so he can feel like he wasn't being ignored. You know, he had our attention again, uh, which is something that he was used to having. But I think it was also two stages of it um, because <clears throat> we were in Estonia for seven years and we adapted uh, first because we were there as newlyweds and then, you know, of course, adapted into that relationship. And we'll go over that later. But um, as a family, we, we grew into a family in Estonia, really. I would say we became a family. It was the first home we had as a family. And when I mean family, we had a child with us. Our son was born in Estonia, in Tallinn, Estonia, in the middle of winter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, and so we, uh, we became a family outside of just a couple, um, you know, because there is that family aspect as a couple and there's a family aspect when you have um, a child and it's, it's a learning curve. It's different. Um, and so I think we went through that in Estonia and then in Germany, because I feel like, uh, Isai wasn't as, um, he, he was still almost like a, a really young kid, little dude. I mean, he was four years old when we left Estonia, right? Yeah. Yeah. He was four. He was four years old when we left Estonia and then we got to Germany and he actually, uh, started going to school. Um, he started getting around, you know, the, the community there. And so adapting as a family looked different in those places. In Estonia, um, it was a little bit, uh, more of the, uh, you know, he's not in school yet. So he's at home a lot. He's with us. We went to the park, you know, we did a lot of things just as, you know, that tight, uh, small family. And then in Germany, it was like, okay, man, he's going to school and so um, adapting but, as a whole had two different stages. Go ahead. Yeah, but I think, I mean, now that I think about it, I think there wasn't much adapting for him in Estonia because he was born into it already. Right. If we had went into the mission field as a family, then I think the changes would have been a lot more um, in the forefront. They would have been a lot more... Almost overwhelming. Because I yeah. would say that any family that's moving... If, if you have kids, you know, and you're living in the States and you're planning on going into mi- missions, um, like you're saying, I, I feel the Lord calling us into this other country, this other culture, uh, and this place where they don't speak English as the native language. Um, you're going to deal with it. Even in places that they do speak English, you're going to deal with that culture shock. And the kids, uh, it's, it's a lot of times they don't know how to communicate that they're dealing with it, like that it's an issue. Yeah, so I feel like when we, when we talk, like for me, when I talk about adapting as a family, I think I'm more, cons- I'm more thinking about when we moved to Germany when Isai was four. Right. Because as a family, we all were adapting at the same time and at the same pace because we had to all learn together how to do life in this new place. Whereas in Estonia, Gobble and I already, you know, we already knew how, what to buy at the market. We spoke a little bit of the language. We could get by. We understood the lifestyle there. We had friends already, and we brought Isai into that. But when we moved to Germany, all of it was new for all of us. Yeah. So that was when I think of adapting. That's the time that I'm that I'm the season that I'm I'm really thinking about. And Frankfurt as as a city, fifty one percent, and I could be wrong in this statistic now, 
but I believe it was 51% at the time that we were living there, which was a year, about a year and a half ago. Um, 51% of the city were non-Germans. So it is a very international city. So um, the setting from Tallinn in Estonia to Frankfurt in Germany was very different. And so adapting as a whole, as a unit, as a family, I mean, all of us took on that learning curve. I mean, <laughs> we were going to the immigration um, lines. I would get there, what, maybe two or three hours ahead, mm-hmm. wait in line, and then call Vanessa and say, like, okay, you can make your way over now, which is about an hour bus ride away from our apartment. <laughs> well, it was like a bus, then a trolley, yeah. then another trolley, and then a tram. And then, uh, you know, and then they would be working their way over. And then, and then they'd get there, and we'd wait another maybe 45 minutes to an hour in line. Mm-hmm. And so we're dealing with this as a family. And it's, you know, Isai is not, he's a kid. He wants to run around. We're having to wait in line for an immigration, um, you know, uh, interview or, or process or whatever. And so this adapting as a whole, I think for us, there's a lot of different aspects that go into it. But I think if I could share anything with anybody considering it, or anybody saying like, man, I would love to step into some sort of international ministry. Um, what are some things that you know you would say I need to be aware of? I would say be aware that it's not just you. Uh, and I'm speaking to the dads, um, to the the husband. Um, it's not just you. You're not going through it alone. You're you're gonna get there. You're gonna be like, oh my gosh, what do I do? You're because because everything you learn online and everything everybody tells you. Um, it's you get there and it's slightly different. So you have to go through it step by step and understand it and adjust or readjust and you feel a little overwhelmed and then you almost in a sense you neglect that your whole family, everybody is going through stuff that they thought would be a certain way and it isn't. And so adapting as a family, you have to be very aware of that. And I think that's where our, our marriage and uh, me trusting Vanessa because basically she had to take care of stuff, uh, I think, mainly at home. Trying to figure out, you know, where is he going to go to school? Oh, yeah. That was a lot of research. Yeah, because I, I wasn't looking into that. I was trying to figure out how the heck do you stay in Germany? <laughs> you know, yeah, what because, paperwork do you need? And Yeah. When we were living in Estonia, Isai was still too young to go to any kind of school. Uh, but when we moved to Germany, he was already of age to be in um, TK. And uh, homeschool is illegal there. Yeah, so we weren't, you know, we couldn't um, consider keeping him at home another year. And if you don't send your kid to school, then you can get in trouble. You can go to jail. From what I heard, your kids have to go to school. They have to go to some type of public or private school. They cannot stay home. They cannot learn at home. You cannot be their teacher. I'm sure like with the pandemic, it's shifted a lot of things at this point. But when we were there, your kids cannot homeschool. It is illegal and they won't let you do it. So we were forced to find a school nearby. And once, I mean, it was really difficult in the beginning, but you know, having people that we could ask, I went to a mom's group one morning, um, just to meet some local moms. And thankfully there was an American there who spoke perfect German. So she, you know, invited me over. She let me come over. She invited me over and she showed me the website where I have to register ESI. And basically you're applying to get into schools. 
And so that's really frustrating because, you know, it's it's just, it's awkward. Like, why do I have to apply for my son to go to school? Whatever's close, just that's the one he should be going to. It was a public school. But there was just so many different things that I had to learn along the way. And thankfully, I had someone there helping me as well. But I remember at one point, his teacher didn't speak a lot of English. So that already was something concerning for me. And our son is very, very social. He loves to play with kids. He loves to be around people. So he was really excited initially about going to school. He was um, glad to be around other kids. And at the time, he was the only child. And we didn't have a lot of friends with kids that were nearby. So it was. It seemed like it was going to be a good thing that worked out fine. But once he got there, he was the only kid in his class that did not speak German. Mm-hmm. So even though the class was very diverse... There was maybe one kid who can barely speak English, but even then the kid wasn't in Eastside's class. So But this was the this was the second time or the first time? Oh well this is the second time, his second year yeah. in preschool. Because I think I we have to share a, a little bit about that. Um, the situation and experience for us was that we actually moved to Germany and we went through the whole process. And then we ended up leaving, um, and then we came back. And these these experiences were actually very different because um, the first time we came in, I think like the teacher and that setup was actually pretty pretty great. Like the t- his teacher at that school, um, you know, she really loved Isai. Uh, and then the second teacher, when we moved back again, <laughs> she was a little bit like. I don't know. She didn't really. Well, I think she was the younger. Same love. For well, she was younger, and I think it was also kind of. Um, I think it made her nervous too that she really couldn't communicate in English well. And yeah, here he that's is, true. this brand new American kid who doesn't know any German. So obviously, he was going to need a lot more one-on-one time. Which you know, when you have one teacher for fifteen kids, it's not that easy. So I think Isai was a challenge for her. In and that way. what would you say though to a mom though? Like a mom's praying about, or maybe she feels like, man, I, I think the Lord's leading us to step into this ministry. What would you say to the mom? Because um, I think that's mainly what this podcast is about. Like, what do we say to people? How do we give them a thought to say like, you know, hey, think about this, pray about this, uh, start practicing or like, what would you say? What, what advice would you give? Um, besides making sure that you're praying over your family, I think you have to be open to changes if you like routine and you like schedule and you like knowing what's going to happen you're going to be very frustrated going into missions as a family yeah, that's true. <laughs> because you get thrown curveballs that you can do all the research you want and talk to all the natives that you know of um, but there's just things that are going to be different for your family and, and even, laws change and laws change too and then even if you do find other people that are missionaries there they're not with the same organization they don't have the same funds as you do and you don't have the same resources as as they do so as much as you know their advice is great but a lot of times you have to figure out a lot of stuff on your own and it's challenging but i think the experience as a family is worth it and i think the reason why we were there was obviously I think anytime you're going into missions and you're genuinely and you genuinely know that God's led you there it's always going to be worth it 
but in between you realizing that it's difficult, it's challenging. There were times where I didn't want to adapt and I didn't care if we did. (laughs) You know, I remember thinking, I don't even want to learn German. Why should I learn German? We're in, you know, a city with so many foreigners. There's a five guys here for crying out loud. I mean, it was just really frustrating to try to learn this language because it just felt, this is my personal experience. It just felt like a lot of the German, the natives, they were not willing to help. They have no patience for someone that does not speak fluent German. And that's not across the board because it's not. That's why I'm saying it's my personal experience. I did meet really awesome Germans. Like obviously they exist. They're great. But it's just frustrating when you're alone and you need to order something and you think you say it right and they just stare at you and you say it again and they say it again and they just stare at you and then they take the next person in line after you and you just feel like, hello, like, you know, you just feel invisible. And then, of course, you realize, oh, I don't speak German. So they're just kind of like this girl's in the way, I guess. I don't know. But um, it was hard because that frustration I felt, I recognized that in our son. And a lot of times... You know, he hated going to school. He really did. And he had a hard time adjusting that. We were even considering, let's just find another school. Or let's figure out another way for him to, um, to, you know, keep learning, but just not in that environment. It was just really frustrating for him. And it got to a point where I remember taking him to school or picking him up from school one day. And he said, Mom, I don't want to speak German anymore. And I I literally said, I don't either, Isai. And I think... That was a day that he and I took him to a cafe. I let him buy a donut. He ordered it in German. Yeah. <laughs> and then we walked to the park, and we were there for like two or three hours. And I didn't want to be there that long, but I just knew that Isai just needed to be, you know, he just needed to be a kid, and he needed to not worry about school and whatever else he had on his little mind. And he found a little kid that was at the park also, and he played with him the whole time. And I don't know if the kids spoke English or German because I didn't hear any English coming from their conversations. They were talking to each other in German. Um, but I think him seeing German, you know, uh, playing in German with a kid at the park, I think that helped him feel like a sense of relief because he's in school and the teacher is, you know, talking about doing this and doing that and he's just lost. But then he gets to a park and he's playing with the kid and the kid is speaking a little bit of English to him and Isai speaking a little bit of German back to him. And I had to really recognize that he just needed that. And so, you know, me taking him to the market before dark, I just felt like he just needs this, he needs time. So I think as a mom, you do have to step back and put a lot of things aside for the sake of your family as a whole. And it looks different. It looks different in every season. It looks different in a lot of in a lot of ways. But you just have to be aware. And I think you really have to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you in those moments and to recognize a lot of times you're going to have to slow down. You're going to have to take a break. And if you can get away from the city for a day or or two, or um, I know a few times we left the city and we were able, we rented a car and we visited some friends that lived like in the countryside and we spent the night there and sometimes you just need to get away because it's just so frustrating when you're constantly learning, you're constantly having to keep up and you have deadlines. That's what brings a lot of pressure is that you have deadlines to learn these things and to do these things. I think one of the, the other things that's kind of included in this adapting is including uh, the traditions of the, the land, um, not in the way of like if there's like some spiritual new age practice and saying like, oh, we got to be like that. 
I'm talking about, you know, there's a holiday that we don't celebrate as Americans, but they do. In, in Estonia um, and in, in Germany, we learned how to include those traditions. So I think that's a big deal. And I think, um, I think one of the best memories I had was when Isai was in school and there was a certain holiday. I don't even remember the name of it, but they all had these lamps oh, and, yeah. and they made the lamps at school. And then you met back up in the evening and everybody walked around like the, the certain part of the city and they were all the kids were holding these like lamps. I don't even remember what holiday. Do you, you know what that was? I don't remember either. But they had a song they had to sing or yeah. something like that. Yeah. It was in German and everybody was singing the song. Um, I ended up asking about it. And I do believe it was something that, that uh, it was based from the Lutheran church. So it was a Christian holiday, but I don't remember exactly what. And um, I just thought that was really cool, man, because, you know, here we are, uh, Native Americans, um, and we're walking in... Sachsenhausen. Yeah, it was Sachsenhausen. And we're walking around and, and it's just, it felt like, wow, man, like this is really cool. Like as a family, we're really part of this, you know, German tradition. And um, I think even the memories in Estonia of like Yanipav. Mm-hmm. I think even in Estonia, um, we celebrated Yanipav. And that was a good thing. I think we have good memories from that. Yeah, I th- even before we had our son, it was always. I mean, I remember when they would, the people in our church would talk to us about Yanibab, and I remember thinking, like, what is that? What do, I mean, we have like Midsummer's Night or whatever here, like in the States. It's not like completely like a foreign concept, but it's such a big deal over there. Yeah. And when you're in that part of Europe, to see how like the night sky doesn't get dark, like, it's just a really cool experience to be able to be a part of something like that and I think also the people that were our friends at the time well our friends (laughs) that were living there they were just really excited to show us what it's all about and we went out to the countryside one of the girls in our church her family had um, a lot of land so we all went camping which is a very big thing they camp they hitchhike um I think we spent a lot of time in our car just because there's so many mosquitoes and I and had allergies and Gobble had the worst <laughs> allergies and it was horrible man it, and it was cold and windy but um, it was still like a really great memory that we yeah, had yeah we wouldn't trade it and when our son was with us one of the years we went out to a friend's family's home also like yeah. what three hour drive away or something and that was awesome too because it was it was there's other kids there so it was like a family gathering as opposed to us and like a bunch of the young adults from church hanging out in the in the middle of the woods um so it was always different and of course like we adapted in that way because we weren't going to go you know take our our 3-year-old to the middle of the forest like um with uh no other kids around so like i don't know like you find different ways to celebrate their tradition or the holidays that mean a lot to them. And yeah, like Gabo said, you know, you just have to be aware of what those uh, holidays actually mean, yeah. what the traditions are. Um, some things we partook in, others we didn't, but for the most part, we were there and we wanted them to know that we were open to seeing what their culture was about, why they enjoy these holidays, how they celebrate them. And a lot of times they were so eager 
for us to see, to experience it as well. But that's a big deal because like it's, it's part of the adapting because including those foreign traditions, you actually learn to value what the locals value. So you look at these certain dates and you're like, initially you look at the date and you're like, oh, you know, it's, it's just another day, but it's, it's a real holiday for them. And um, that's, that's something as a de- when you're adapting, it's important. Because then you begin to understand like, oh man, everybody's excited for this weekend. And I just planned a prayer, you know, for that night and everybody goes to the countryside or everybody goes to the the coast or the river or something like that. And so learning and understanding and including those foreign um, holidays and traditions is a big deal. Um, and then uh, I, we do want to touch on on budgeting because it's a big deal when you're in ministry on overseas, we were uh, support-based. So we did not have a steady income. And that was the first eight years. I want to say the first eight years. Um, the last couple years, I was on a salary with a different organization that we were, uh, that we connected with. Uh, and I had, it was basically uh, dual. It was support and salary. The salary basically covered our rent and the support covered everything else, insurance, food, um, everything else we needed. So um, it's it's something, budgeting is a big deal. And I think like that's where, um, I think a lot of families can get into trouble or like uh, get stressed out, man. Yeah, because one thing that you, you have to always consider is you may get 5,000 USD, but depending on what country you're in, that's not you know, 5,000 equivalent to their currency. So anytime we had money coming in, we had to, um, you know, 5,000 would be a lot first off. Well, yeah, (laughs) but I mean, we always had to remember like, that's not 5,000 euros. If we got $5,000, that's like 4,000 euros or something like that. In budgeting, we did our best to keep a savings, but there was always something that popped up that needed the savings needed to go to. Well, I think the, the reality is we didn't have a savings. But I mean, if we did... Yeah, we, we it got used. Or we had to ask for extra support to pay for passports that were expired or all of a sudden we have to renew something or the insurance. You have to pay everything up front a year in advance. I mean, yeah. like just different things that you learn along the way that you maybe don't know that you need to prepare for. Yeah, you didn't. So as much as you can, obviously having a savings is a big deal. Another thing is when you're traveling, um, we didn't travel unless, you know, our tickets were pretty much bought for us. We didn't do a lot of um, air travel. (laughs) Yeah, we didn't do a lot of vacations. If we had a vehicle uh, with us in Estonia, but we didn't drive very far with with that car, and um, if we did have extra funds and we knew for sure like there nothing was pending and everything was paid, uh, we would do our best to get away, take like a small like day trip somewhere. Uh, you know, like when we lived in Estonia, Riga was only a four hour drive away. So it was easy just to kind of get out of the country, drive over there and then come back home. But you really do, um, I, would, I would say as a family, if you can, Put away enough to buy plane tickets for everybody to go back home. And this is... Um, emergency fund. An emergency fund, but also um, one thing that, you know, being in Europe for 10 years, um, unfortunately, you know, you do have family members that pass away. And not being able to be there is really difficult. Yeah. Um, 
for us, we lost, I think one year we lost three relatives, like both of our grandmothers passed away within months of each other. And Gabriel also lost an uncle. Yeah, it's just, it's, um, it's something that, you know, you might forget in all the excitement of being in missions. But the truth is, like, that's probably the, the ugly side of it is that you don't get to go to all the funerals. You don't get to join the family at Christmas all the time. You don't get to have those Thanksgiving dinners with people. And especially if you can't budget to have that money put aside. So if you can, you know, when it comes to adapting, budgeting and and things like that, do your best to have money on the side because whether it's plane tickets or an additional cost that you had no idea that you would get charged or a ticket or a fine for not having something, definitely make sure that that's important. You know, if you're going to be budgeting that you do your best to to stay on track in that way. Yeah, and I think like um, one of the things that, that we did see, and we were blessed, man, and God did open doors. I remember just uh, certain pastors or certain people would call us and say, like, hey, I know that there's a, a conference coming up in Europe that, um, you know, because we were obviously working around with my dad. He, he has the Praise Chapel Europe organization. And so we did some events, prayer events, conferences, meetings. And people would call us, man, and say, like, hey, man, I, I want to cover your ticket. I want to cover the cost for you to be there. And so that that was an awesome thing. So we did go to go. We did get a chance to go see other countries and other cities, and it was awesome. But I would say this: if you can plan and budget to be able to travel around Europe, it is very much like traveling around the states. Once you're there, it's cheaper. You can get around, um, and then the experience of you as a family, you guys are able to experience these things that um, you know you have these memories, and then on top of that, your your family as a whole. Um, you have like kind of like a cultural education that that you don't really you can't you can't buy in just going to a school and and sitting in a class on uh, you know uh, the history of Romania or, or hearing other people's stories. Yeah, like like even in sitting in Germany and, and talking with people who are much older than me and them sharing the history through their eyes and and uh, even in Estonia the people sharing the history through their eyes. So like. There, there is such a good thing when you budget and you're able to do some traveling because not only that, it expands your vision to understand like how do, how do we share the gospel in these other countries? How do we share, how do we help others in those countries, churches in those countries, ministers and pastors in those countries? How do we help them? Um, and so budgeting is a big deal. And, and Especially I, if you're living off of support. Yeah. I think the accountability factor is priority. You have to be 100% black and white with the funds that come in yes if somebody sends you five hundred dollars for a plane ticket you better make sure that five hundred dollars goes towards a plane ticket if you need more or if something happens always let the person know what happened a lot of times if people sent money and because let's say a ticket is a thousand dollars and someone's like i'm gonna send you a thousand dollars but they don't realize that their thousand dollars is actually 800 euros and that ticket is a thousand euros and you're 200 euros short, and you just don't have that, you definitely have to be upfront about your needs. So if you're going to ask people, or if you're doing a campaign or a fundraiser, make sure that you account for the difference in currency. Because if somebody sends you money, you want to make sure that you're not going back and saying, oh, actually, you know, I need this. And then 
if they spent time and effort going to the bank to pay to you know to just like because on their end it does t- I know that like for some people it's difficult to get to the bank to do a wire transfer or it's it's confusing it puts a lot of effort for some people I think sending money now is a lot different than it was when we were there I don't think Zelle was there bank transfers were harder to do between banks but I think just um, being upfront with the cost and really taking time to go over the actual costs always budget a little bit more for reasons like that. I think transparency and accountability are the two words that sum it up. Um, In any ministry, any ministry, whether you're in another country or whether you're in the USA, Mm -hmm. every single ministry should have transparency and accountability. Um, There's a few reasons for that. But I would say this, for us, I kept everything, every every dime, everything that was spent. I had a, and I still have it, a spreadsheet of where that money went. So that way, if anybody wanted to ask, you know, hey, where where does your money go? I could simply say, this is where it goes. Now, what happened is because I acted in a way that was above board, I didn't give anybody any reason to say like, you know, hey, like what's going on? Something's funny here. People trusted us. And so I still to this day, man, I we are so grateful for the supporters and the, mm-hmm. the churches, the pastors, the friends, the family, everybody that, you know, said like, hey, man, we want to give. We want to partner with you guys financially um, to reach those in those countries. And we're so grateful. And I felt that it was, I felt obligated to be transparent and accountable to that. And so I think uh, when it comes to budgeting, that's something that you, as a, as a family, and, and I'm, I'm definitely speaking to the dads, the husbands, the, the ones who are saying, like, you know, God called me into this. Um, God also called you to be a man of integrity, and including your wife, and, you know, <laughs> even with my wife, we, we both were people with integrity that we did what we said we would do. And I always like to say, you do what you say and you say what you do. And so um, budgeting falls into that place of integrity of making sure that you're, you're being transparent and accountable to the funds that come through, not just because it's something for the supporters, but it's something that you as a family need. You will go through financial hardships. I've heard stories of, um, I think we have one family that we know, they're friends of ours. They went through a, a, like a, a couple months where their support just dropped off and they had to sell their engagement uh, rings. I think they sold his first and then her second. Uh, and it was literally because they couldn't pay rent and they couldn't, they didn't have food. And it, it wasn't anything that, you know, they were doing something wrong. It was just, I, I'm sharing this with you to say that finances are a big deal. And so when you're managing and you're doing the best that you can, you're able to share with others, hey, listen, this is where the money went. We need some help. Um, you know, this and that, you raise more support, you do a fundraiser or campaign or whatever, but budgeting is a big deal. And and so I, I think we both definitely want to push that into anybody who's considering stepping into missions. Yeah. Remember that budgeting, if you can't do that here, you will have a very hard time there. Yes, because a lot of times I think because you're not uh, a native to that country, for whatever reason, for some people, you know, there's a, you know, there are laws that you break and there's fines that come with those laws mm-hmm. and you don't want to leave a country in their debt. <laughs> I think um, you don't want to be in a country that 
is looking for you, you know, that won't which, let you leave. Which we have to say, we we know of, we know of a missionary. <laughs> we know of a missionary that they actually had a warrant. <laughs> so this is something that you have to be aware of, that you could break a law and they will look for you. you, you you're a missionary. Like, come on, dude. Like, do what's right. Do what's right. Live righteously. Be Live with integrity. That's part of the budgeting. <laughs> yeah, and I think you have to leave out that comparison factor because what another family budgets is not what's going to be your budget. And you have to consider whether you're, whether you're budgeting more because you have more to work with or you don't have as much to work with. So one of the difficult things is being on the other side. You know, if you're in a, you know, doing missions somewhere and you see maybe a more lavish lifestyle that your friends are leading back home, don't worry about living that same way. Or if you lived that way back in the States and you go into a foreign country and your funds are not the same, yeah, then you have to have realistic expectations of what you how like what you can live with. And I think that falls into counting the cost. Like we counted a cost. We knew that and I and Vanessa, we had this conversation before we got married of like, uh, you know, we're not going to have this or have that, right? Yes. <laughs> and, and, I, and what I was saying was this, that I knew that if we go into missions, if we go into international ministry, um, there is not money to be made there. It's literally, you, you are giving up things. And it was, it was challenging, I think, for a little bit of time because we would see some of our friends, you know, maybe purchasing homes or or buying a new car, and and it would be like, wow, like man, that's awesome. Um, well, let's go get the bus, you know, <laughs> like, and it was it was just part. It was counting the cost. Like we knew, well, I knew, and I think Vanessa became aware that w- that's not our lifestyle. We we don't we don't do that. Like we don't we don't have that income. Yeah, and if you do have the income, that's great. Like that's not anything that we would you know discourage. But for those of you that are going into missions and you don't have all the support you need, or you're just learning a lot, it's fine that you don't have enough money to go and travel. That you don't have enough money for savings, but make sure that what money you do have that you're very wise with how you spend it and that you're looking for things and living with with you know what is it under your means and making yeah, live sure under your means making sure that if you don't need to buy a car don't buy a car take the bus um you know take the trams and trolleys invest in like a monthly card or something like that don't take these lavish um shopping trips you don't need everything um, luckily for us, there was no Target in Europe, so <laughs> I did not um, ever overspend. <laughs> it felt like I never did that. Um, and, and you learn to be content, though. Like in you know, even scripture, uh, um, godliness with contentment is great gain. And so we pursued our relationship with with God, man. And I think that was we learned to be content in what we were doing because that's what we knew God wanted us to do. And so all the other stuff was like you know, sometimes like a little bit of a challenge because it was like, oh man, I wish. Yeah. But in the end, it was like, no, but we know, you know, I wish and, but we knew, we know this is what God wants. So um, the the last kind of thing we wanted to touch on was as a family uh, being in missions, one of the things that uh, is not talked about that much is that 
when you have guests or visitors come stay with you or come you know visit as on a short-term missions trip that is something that can either be uh, one of the greatest experiences and most encouraging and edifying and, and just you're laughing you're, you're hard laughing the whole time you know having a great time and there are some experiences that you're just like oh my gosh like they leave you totally drained they leave you drained they leave you depressed they leave you feeling like man I, like, why are we here? You know, like, what's the point? You know, um, and and I think that um, that was very real for us. I, and I would say this from the level of being a pastor, having some pastors come and visit and they were just encouraging. They were like, man, like, praise God. Awesome. Like, we're, you know, we just love you guys. How can I help you to the opposite of like, um, you know, why don't you guys do this? Why don't you, why don't you do this? You know, you would see a lot more growth if you do this and this and this. And it was kind of like, what the heck? Like, what is this person talking about? They have like, <laughs> like, like, what are they talking about? And, and it, dealing with that, dealing with those visitors and guests and even teams, um, that's something that you have to be aware of because you have to make decisions that are sometimes hard. Like, for example, you get a call from your home church and they say, hey, man, uh, we're going to send a team out there. And it's like, OK, um, you got to ask some questions. Who? <laughs> Why? You know, what's the goal? What's the purpose? You know, and a lot of times you, the, you have to kind of navigate through some of the, um, the, the reasoning. Because a lot of times there is something called, or I kind of joke around, but it is real, uh, the Christian tourism. It's where the, the churches just want to send a team and they want to take pictures and they want to um, post it on their Instagrams. And uh, like uh, the comedian, the real Taylor Ransom says, <clears throat> put world traveler in their, uh, in their bio on Instagram. <laughs> and so um, th there's a lot of that. And so you do have to be aware that, man... You have to make some decisions to, to be able to say uh, no or it's not a good time right now or, you know, let's schedule it for this time of the year. You're the one there on top of that. So this is me speaking like from that level of pastoring the church. But on top of that, you know what your family's going through. You know that, hey, man, right now we're just starting, you know, maybe the, the schooling season or or, you know, this and that or, or something's going on that just requires a lot of your attention in that specific time frame, so specifically for your family. And you get a visitor or a group of visitors and it becomes a stress and a strain on your family. So you're trying to, you know, uh, be a good Christian family and model like what it means to be, a, you know, Christ-centered home. But you have this stress that just comes on and, and arguments flare up. And then all of a sudden it's this, it's that. It's like, oh, man, where is this coming from? Then you realize, oh, man, I should have said no. I should have said not right now or maybe this time. Yeah, because a lot of times when you have people to visit, when, you're, when your whole family is on the right, uh, when you have people that visit and you're both on the same page about people coming over or if they're going to stay with you um you do plan to be out and about you do plan to kind of be like a tour guide you know take people out see the city 
and you have special services a lot of times, you know, healing services or things, you know, worship services, things like that. So you do start to fill up that time when that guest is there. Yeah. But if you don't have the finances or if it's just a really rough, um, a rough time or the church is going through something, I think you have to be aware that it's okay to say no. Like right now we cannot take a team of 25 people because the church just went through this or I don't know all the different reasons why. But I think a lot of times I feel like now having a type of like application for someone wanting to come, you know, do a missions trip is going to be helpful in the long run. Why? Yeah. Because you get to see why they're coming. Why do they want to go to that country specifically? What is it that they can offer to the church? How is it they're going to serve? Whether they're going to serve What do the they church, do in their home church? Or whether they're going to serve your family. Yeah. Because we've had people that, you know, I think um, they would come like in the middle of winter and there's just not a lot to do. You can't do a lot of outreaches in like negative 15 degree weather. People just don't want to stand outside and talk to you. So a lot of stuff needs to be done inside. And I remember we had a church building that the heat wasn't good. So even being inside the church building was hard because it was so, so cold. And people left their jackets on, their scarves and everything like that. So even being at church was difficult. So I remember we spent a lot of time just hanging out with... um, a few people that came by and that was fun because they were friends, you know, and, and it was just, it, it was, was refreshing. refreshing. Yeah. It was uplifting and so encouraging to have, you know, familiar faces come around and hang out for a week or two. But, but even that team that comes in, if you do an event at the church and you have more services, um, that actually costs money. And then, um, because there's lighting, there's, you know, the heating, all the utilities and all that. And then also if they're staying with you, your bills go up. And so it's like um, a lot of these things that some people, they're just unaware of. They're, I think that's They think like, you know, I'm ready to help. I'm ready to do this. And it's like, yeah, but right now, like it, there's there's nothing you can do. Like I do recall one, one guy specifically. <laughs> uh, he, basically his whole thought was let's go outreach. There was snow. It was like negative something. Let's go outreach. And I'm like, dude, you know what, man? Go ahead. <laughs> like, <laughs> go right ahead. Um, because I think that they came with this idea that, you know, this is what we do. We have to do this right now. And I was like, how do you hold a flyer? Like, I wear gloves. <laughs> like, you know, like, um, and so there's there's just this this understanding that you have as the, the people there. That when people are saying, I want to come visit, I want to come, you know, take a short term trip, you have to consider how do we filter that? Yeah, because I think anytime a team or a person comes out to visit, whether it's for you or for the church, it's okay for you to say, right now is not a good time. Yeah. Um, I think also you can say, please consider helping us pay the church rent this month. You know, like, don't spend $5,000 sending somebody. Maybe spend half of that and just help us pay the church rent. I mean, I think, too, another thing that I felt for me personally is if you're going to go be with the family overseas, really take the time to learn about the family. Take the time to actually know their kids' names and what their kids like. And we had... Someone come visit us. Um, they weren't even there that long, but they brought gifts for our, our son at the time. And that was the first time out of all the people that have ever come to visit us 
that brought gifts. Like, I mean, like, a lot of stuff. Like, so much stuff I was, like, shocked. Um, they brought so much stuff for our son. And I really felt like for the first time, somebody actually realized, hey, we're going to go see a family. We're going to go see a mom, a dad, and a kid that are working with the church plant in another country. And they're our friends. And so a lot of times I would also say this, you know, if you're going to, um, advertise a missions trip to a specific country and you already have people there, I think take the time to explain who these people are. I mean, I've sat in services here in the U.S. where they take up a missions offering and they'll say the most generic thing about all missionaries across the world, but they don't actually mention who the money is going to. What are they going to be using the money for? And who is this family? Do they have kids? Have they been there long? Is there any particular struggle that they're going through? Is there something that you could pray specifically about and for this family? And it feels so distant, like you don't really know these people. And that's what's difficult is when you're on the other side, there's only so much you can do to maintain those relationships. So you really do rely on your home church to do that for you, to be the bridge between your supporters and yourself. And But they can all the time. And so that's where it is important that you speak up and you, you share these things, you share these thoughts. And the longer you're there, the more you'll recognize it. And I would say this, we're, we're talking about, about 30% of, you know, 30% uh, that actually came. Because, you know, out of all the people that said that they were going to come, that, yeah. you know, hey, you know, I'm going to buy my ticket, I'm going to visit you, I'm going to go, you know, about 70% of them never did. We were there, been, we were in Europe 10 years, over 10 years. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> I still laugh to this day because I think there was, you know, people told me every year, I'm going to go, bro, I'm going to go, I'll be there. Hey, I'm going to come. Yeah. And it was like, okay, cool, yeah. And initially... You get excited and you're like, yeah, dude, we can do this. We'll do this event. You know, we'll set this up. You know, uh, it'll be great if you come at this time. You know, you can you can do this. And then you start thinking in your head like, oh, this is how we can utilize them. And then they, they tell you they're going to go. They give you some dates and then they don't do it. And this happened. Oh, my gosh. All the time. Yeah. It became so normal that I was just like, in the end, I stopped listening to what people said I'm going to or I want to, and I only planned when they bought the ticket. That's the only time I planned anything because it's draining. Yeah. It is just so draining. Yeah, because you're accommodating, you're the one that's accommodating someone visiting you. And because it's a foreign country, they're completely relying on you for transportation, for food, for shelter, all that stuff. So you're adapting again with someone else in your home and just to put this out there i i was i'm very appreciative of all the people that came to visit us i'm so grateful for the time that we had with so many people and the memories and i mean i can say for the most part like everybody that came we we just needed that we needed to be around familiar faces and we just needed those good conversations and it was fun being able to introduce the church to people that were back home that you know we've mentioned to them and then also for the people back home to see and meet the people that we've been working with so to be that bridge you know between the supporter or the one that's praying and say look this is that one person we told you to pray about and it's great I mean it's so um 
I mean, it's really something only God can orchestrate to bring the right people. And I think a lot of times um, it's beneficial. There are times that we have seen where it, it's been a car wreck, not with us specifically, but um, at one point we, de- we did see a team come out to visit another, group, another missionary <laughs> family. And they literally spent the whole time arguing to the point where we had like a worship service for New Year's. It was like an all-night prayer thing. And they were just throwing tantrums. They were just throwing fits. You know, I want to eat McDonald's. I don't want to eat, a fo- you know, foreign food. And This I'm is an American cold. team, by the way. Yes, an American team. And they have, such, they have <laughs> such a bad reputation in a lot of, maybe not a lot of countries. But they can get a really bad reputation because Americans, you know, customers came, which means I'm... I'm king because I'm American. I have a right. Um, but anyways, so we've seen the the negative side effects. We've seen missionary wreck. families yeah. spend more time counseling the team that came than actually working with the project they were supposed to be doing. So luckily for us, we didn't have issues like that. No. Um, yeah, it was draining sometimes, like having someone always there, and especially in the middle of winter when there's really nowhere to go, or you don't have finances to be out every single day. But in the end, everybody that came to visit us, everybody that sent a package, especially when I was pregnant, that was such a big deal. Um, but for anybody that came to visit us while we were outside and, and, and in whatever country we were at, we really, really appreciated the finances that you spent, the the time that you were away from your jobs, your family, your friends, the holidays that you missed with your family and friends. Uh, we really, really appreciate you coming out and helping us because um, a lot of times you don't realize how much of a help and encouragement that you are until you know later on when it's all said and done. And I can say for everybody that came to visit us, we really, really needed that in that season. And I, and I would, this is kind of just a little bit of a bonus feature. <laughs> I would say um, to remember that there is a difference between short term and long term. There are those who, you know, are able to break away. Um, the EU allowed up to 90 days of a, of a person to stay in the EU. But there's a difference between the short term and long term. Um, and when you're considering, you know, missions and international ministry and you're thinking about, you know, talking to people, if you're planning on moving, you want to talk to long-term people. You want to talk to those who have lived in a foreign country, not visited or stayed for 90 days. There's a big difference. The paperwork alone is different. Yeah. And then the I think the mental, yeah, the mental adjustment that you're going to be there for however long you plan to be there. Yeah. That's a whole, I mean, you're looking at everything a whole different way than when you're just visiting, even for the three months. It sounds like a long time, but in the end, it's only three months. Yeah. So to kind of like close it up, basically, we, we do want to encourage you. If you, uh, <laughs> I encourage you, I want to make sure that, that you understand that what we're saying if it does sound negative, what we're trying to do is be realistic. I don't want to paint a picture for anybody ever that it's easy, um, you know, oh, you'll be fine, there's no issues. No, man, it's it's one of the hardest things you will ever do. However, if you know that this is your calling and you know that, man, this, this is what the Lord put in my heart and you know this and this is like something that you're solid on, you will be okay. But what we're trying to do is be realistic and so that you understand 
that these are some of the things that we experienced. And if our experience can help you at all and better prepare for a move, for a long-term uh, a mission, uh, something that you feel the Lord wants you to do and build a ministry or establish a ministry or, or serve another ministry and it's long-term in another country, uh, you got to do it, man. I would encourage you to do it. However, be aware. Count the cost. Know that life in the States will keep moving forward. You will see your family. You will see your friends. They will keep going. They, life will continue on. And you will not be there. And you have to be okay with that. Yeah. And I think like now I'm, I'm really curious to see how missions changes because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. With a lot of countries closed, you know, if you felt called to London, guess what? You're not going to go there anytime soon. Yeah, not anytime soon. And so I think in, in that waiting season, because there is a waiting season, you don't just take off and go to another country and do missions. I mean, for some people, yes, you do. But for the most part, you don't do that. Um, I would say don't forget that calling because a lot of times so many things distract you. So many, you know, job opportunities pop up and... Um, are you going to sign the lease for another year? I mean, there's so many things that can pull you away and distract you. And right now, I think the pandemic is a big part of that. But I would say don't don't forget that calling. You don't have to be this. Um, I mean, I think the thing is missions is for everybody. Yeah. So don't, if you felt called, if you knew that God said, I want you going to this country, I want to use you over here. I want to pull you out of, you know, your hometown. I want to do this with you. Don't let anything make you feel like you're not worth that calling. Yeah. And so this one has been about family and mission. So kind of talking about us as a whole, a family unit. The next podcast will specifically be about kids, like what we saw, what we dealt with. Um, we had one son in in uh, Europe, and our daughter was born here in the U.S. So we're going to share basically more specifically on raising uh, our child, raising our son in a foreign setting, and some of the challenges and stuff you know that came with that. And obviously, Vanessa will share some of you know just the stories of, of being pregnant and going through the the birth in a, in a foreign country with, you know, nothing but uh, Russian-speaking nurses. And <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's going to be our next podcast. But we definitely hope, to that this podcast has encouraged you and hopefully brought just some awareness that for those of you who are planning it, um, planning to move, make a move internationally, you know, or, or those of you that are just curious on how to really pray and help missionary families, uh, we hope to have given some insight that is beneficial, not just to you um, in whatever plans you have, but to, to missionaries that are still out there. Because we do know some that are still, their American families still living abroad during the pandemic, uh, going through all the issues that, you know, you hate, the you know, being the lockdown here in the U.S., but imagine in a foreign country, you know, where there's like, you know, just not the comfort of home. We hope this encourages you. And next week, we'll be dropping the next podcast uh, next Tuesday. And if this uh, has blessed you in any way, uh, please share it. Just, you know, uh, send it to some other people. Uh, Subscribe. Let us know what you think. And I would say, too, um, I really like being able to talk about stuff that people are actually interested in. So at this point, with with this podcast, it's too late. But if you do have questions about raising kids in a foreign setting... um, 
we're I think we're gonna maybe try to answer some of those questions. Yeah, we'll do a poll on Instagram this week. Yeah, so just be aware, be on the lookout for that because we want to make sure that if we're gonna you know throw out information, that it's something that can um, if we can be more specific in certain areas. You know, we spend a lot of time out on the mission field, so there's a lot of things that we probably maybe forget to mention. Um, yeah. <laughs> Especially when it comes to raising kids, there's so many different areas that we're going to try to narrow down and just talk about, you know, the maybe the most important or the most impactful. But if you have a question, if there's something you're genuinely interested in knowing about, maybe, you know, at least our experience in raising a kid in a foreign country, you're definitely more than welcome to ask um, through the poll, through the Instagram, and we will do our best to answer whatever question you have. All right. We'll be back next week. 